If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And with all the headlines surrounding our program the last couple of weeks, with, of course, the late signing period last week, uh, we got some grad transfers, uh, Tom Crean making some rather controversial comments after the loss to Ole Miss on Saturday, uh, Lenny, the number one basketball recruit in the country, which is something that we have never been able to say here at the University of Georgia. So all that, and of, of course, among other things as well. So today on the show, we are going to dip into the listener mailbag. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done that, and we, we'd definitely like to get your thoughts and let you guys uh, put your ideas out here on the show and ask all your good questions. So we thought now would be a good time to bring it back with all the things going on to discuss the things that are on the minds of all of our loyal listeners. And uh, mailbag shows are usually premium shows that are only available to our subscribers on Podbean. This one, however, is a free show. Uh, We want to give everyone a taste of what we do with our mailbag shows, and we will continue to produce a a free show at least once every two weeks throughout the offseason. Sometimes it'll even be weekly, but sometimes it will be bi-weekly. It just depends on how much news there is to cover, how much we have going on in the world of Georgia athletics. But if you want access to all of our content, including our premium content, which would... uh, include mailbag shows like this one, game preview shows once we get into the football season. If you want access to all that kind of stuff all throughout the year, all you need to do is go to Podbeam and subscribe to our premium content for only $2 a month. I know a lot of you guys have heard me say that, have heard me say all of this, but just for some new people who might not have heard it, uh, it's $2 a month. We tried to price it as low as we could to still be able to just really generate enough revenue to pay the overhead cost of producing this podcast because there are definitely some costs associated with hosting and all that stuff. We also like to get uh, some more equipment, kind of upgrade there to make it an even better show for you guys. Really, uh, it's just what allows us to justify continuing to produce the show. And, and we look, we love talking Georgia sports and providing you guys with uh, with in-depth Georgia-specific content. But we also don't want to operate at a loss, if at all possible. So if you enjoy the content we provide in the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you would give the premium content a shot by subscribing on Podbean. Uh, and it's really quick and simple to do. Just go to Podbean and search for Glory UJ Podcast, or I think it might be even easier if you have a Twitter account. You can just click on click the link on our Twitter profile, which is at Glory underscore UGA, and it will take you directly to our Podbean page. From there, you just click on the little yellow Buy Now button, you fill in your payment info, and boom, you are good to go. And if you have any questions on how to do it, just let us know on Twitter, and of course, we would be glad to help everyone out. Uh, but all right, enough of that. Let's get into the actual content on the show today. Uh, we will get to the mailbag in just a few minutes, but before we open that up, I have to talk, I have to talk about the newest University of Georgia national 
champions, and man, that feels good to say, which is uh, our Georgia women's tennis team who just won the National Indoor Championship on Tuesday. And, and look, guys, I know. I am well aware. I, I'm not a fool. I know that women's tennis is not a sport that a ton of people really pay attention to at all. But I, for one, am a huge fan of both of our men's and women's tennis programs. Uh, and I go to all the matches. Uh, I go to all the home matches and even travel to some of the, the road matches. And, and after winning the national championship, they absolutely deserve some coverage. Uh, if you don't care, I get it. If you don't care about women's tennis, you're like, you know what, I'm going to turn this off. Who cares about women's tennis? I get it. And you can totally just fast forward to the mailbag stuff, which are a lot of football and basketball and all that here in just a few minutes. But look, these ladies have earned it. And while we we probably have the best tennis fans in all of America, it's still very much a niche sport. And I am on a mission to do what I can in my small little way with my small little voice here to put University of Georgia tennis in front of more people because it's pretty awesome. Uh, so I'm going to spend about five minutes or so uh, giving our tennis ladies some well-earned love. So again, if you don't care, go ahead and fast forward. It's all good. But I know there are some people out there that care. And if you uh, just are curious, just check it out here for a few minutes and you might find yourself interested in the Georgia tennis program. And, and I want to, I do want to start out by first explaining to those of you who might be totally unfamiliar with women's tennis, uh, exactly how the format is set up. Uh, and this is for men's team as well. This is collegiate tennis in general. Uh, there are seven team points, and it's uh, the team that wins the best four out of seven ma- uh, points. There are six singles points, which are determined by six individual singles matches. So each each singles match equals one team point. And then there is also one doubles point. That's where you get the seven. Six singles, match, or six singles points plus one doubles point. To determine which team wins the doubles point, there are three doubles matches played, and the team that wins two out of three of those doubles matches earns the doubles point for their team. Uh, doubles is typically played first, and then the six singles matches are played simultaneously following those doubles matches. It's actually a format that can be pretty thrilling when you get deep into the singles matches, especially when you have elite teams facing off against one another like we had last weekend. And thrilling, guys, that is the proper word to use to describe not only our victory over North Carolina in the national title match on Tuesday, but also our quarterfinal and semifinal matches as well. I'm I'm not sure. I really don't think I'm fully capable of adequately, or adequately describing to you guys the mental toughness and just flat-out guts it took for our ladies to win those three matches. In college tennis, you are at a major disadvantage when you lose the doubles point against elite competition because that means you have to then go out and win four out of six singles matches. And again, against elite competition, that is very difficult. Like Stanford, for instance, I think every one of their singles players, their top six singles players, were in the top 50 nationally. That's very difficult to go out and win four out of six of those matches after losing the doubles point. But that's exactly what we did. We lost a doubles point in the quarters, the semis, and the national title match. But still, despite that, we found a way to fight back in each of those matches and win four out of six singles to take each match 4-3, as close as it could possibly be. So, yeah, absolutely thrilling. And in the quarterfinals, we played number two Vanderbilt, and we were down 3-2 in that match with two matches still being played. Uh, in fact, junior Elena Christofi from Athens, Greece, she was down 5 nothing in the decisive third set on court five. If she would have lost that match, we were done. She was down 5 nothing in that decisive third set. Looked like she was done. Looked like we were done. But she dug deep 
And she battled all the way back to win seven consecutive games to take that third set 7-5 and tie the matchup 3-3. Without that win, there is no national championship. And you know, you, people don't really, probably wouldn't look at it that way, but all the way back in the quarters, we were done if Elena did not fight back and just show incredible fortitude to overcome crazy adversity and win that match, fighting back from down 5 nothing. Uh, really, there's no national championship without her doing that. Uh, and So I, I really cannot emphasize how much guts it took for her to come back in the situation, which is crazy. I mean, honestly, if you're not familiar with college tennis, that's essentially akin to coming back, like being down 28 points in the fourth quarter in a football game and coming back and winning somehow uh, at the last second. Just an unbelievable effort. And then after Elena ties up at 3-3, with that effort, freshman Lourdes Carlet of Argentina then clinched the final match to give us the victory against number two Vanderbilt 4-3. So just that was thrilling to get into the semis. Then on Monday in the semis, true sophomore Katarina Jokic from Bosnia, well, she stepped up and took center stage and showed everyone why she is, at least in my opinion, the best women's singles player in the country. Uh, by the way, uh, I have some facts to back that up. She did win the fall ITA singles national title and was ranked number two coming into this weekend. So she is elite. Uh, she defeated number three ranked Fernanda uh, Contreras in the quarters uh, of Vanderbilt and then in the semis with the match all tied up at 3-3. All eyes were on her. It came down to her. It came down to court one. Our best singles player against Stanford's best singles player. And by the way, Stanford is the defending national champion who knocked us out in the Elite Eight last year. She rose to the occasion and defeated Stanford's top singles player 4-6, 6-1, 6-3 to clinch the match over the number one ranked team in the country and send us into the national title match against North Carolina. Then yesterday, yesterday, oh my God, what a freaking match. Wow, Um, just crazy stuff. After losing the doubles point yet again, we were up 3-2. We rolled off three singles wins on courts four through six, which are our lower courts. The only two matches still being played were on courts one and two, and those two courts were going to decide the national championship. And it looked like we were going to take the match because Junior Marta Gonzalez was up two breaks. She was up 5-2 in the third set on court two before getting broken twice. Uh, then she was she was forced into a third set tiebreaker, uh, and she ends up losing the third set tiebreaker, and she loses the match. Just and it was just heartbreaking, man. Especially after also losing the second set in the tiebreaker, just tough. But there's certainly no shame in it. Marta was ranked number ten in singles coming into the match, and the girl she was playing was ranked number fifteen. But anyway, that meant again, all eyes are on Kat Jokic on court one. The match comes down to court one, and it was an incredibly thrilling finish on court one, as it was on court two. Kat was down a break early in the third set, um, and I thought it was over uh, after Marta lost. I was just kind of despondent. It's like, ah, oh, God, it's done. It's over. You know, just kind of how I do a football. It's done. It's over. We're out. And if something good happens, then that's awesome. But I didn't expect it. But Kat, again, showed why she is the best player in America. She was playing number six ranked McKenna Jones. Uh, she was down 3-5 in the decisive third set. So we are one game away. All Jones had to do is win one game. We are one game away from losing the national title. But then Kat got a break to bring it to 4-5. She held on. Then she held. She held on her next service to bring it to 5-5 before breaking North Carolina's serve to go ahead 6-5. And at that point, now Kat is serving for the national title. She fought back. And so I'm pacing around my office, barely, barely able to follow the action. Like I can't even hardly look at it. And then, so Kat, all she needs is to hold her serve. She wins 7-5. We win the national title. And so my heart sank 
when North Carolina, McKenna Jones breaks Cat's service to send the match to a tiebreak. And after just seeing what happened to Marta on court two and back-to-back tiebreaks in, in, in sets two and three, I was convinced. I was convinced we lost our chance. It was over. But not so fast. Cat is an absolute baller and dominated the tiebreak to give our Georgia women's tennis program its sixth national title. Just flat out unbelievable stuff, thrilling stuff. And and obviously Cat was the hero in those last two matches clinching the semis and national title match, but it really was a total team effort. Uh, our lower courts, uh, which are courts four, five, and six, went three and zero yesterday. And without their efforts, it doesn't matter what Cat did on court one. It never came down to that. So, got to give some uh, some love to sophomore Vivian Wolf on court four, who has won ten of eleven matches. Uh, and Vivian's a, a girl, man. She wasn't really in the rotation at all as a freshman last year, but she has just put her head down, fought, and has become an integral part of this team. And just is is just. Honestly, she's killing people, especially coming into this tournament. She's just done an outstanding job of raising her game and just fighting and, and instead of pouting, working and getting better. So just really proud to, proud of her to see what she's been able to do. And then Elena Christofi, as I mentioned earlier, saved us on court five in the quarters without her coming back from down 5-0 in that match in the third set and winning that third set 7-5. Nothing happens. We don't win a national title. And then you've got true freshman Meg Kowalski on court six, who's 11-0 right now as a true freshman and just played out of her mind against elite competition here in the uh, or in this ITA National Indoor Tournament. Just outstanding play all around. And again, I'll say it again, I, I just cannot get over the guts it took to fight back from the precipice of defeat so many times and to do it against elite competition. We defeated the number two, number one, and number three teams in America to win this national title. And in the process, defeated the last two national championships. Stanford won it last year, and then Vanderbilt won it the year before. So we're talking about elite college tennis teams that we're facing here. And as the fifth-ranked team coming into the tournament, we absolutely 100% earned this title. And and look, guys, I acknowledge that the average women's tennis player does not have the physical attributes of your average men's tennis player, but the mental toughness, the discipline, and again, the sheer guts that our ladies showed over the course of the National Indoor Tournament en route to that national title, to me, that surpassed that of, of the men and, and what I've seen from them recently, and it was just simply remarkable. So congrats, ladies. I'm pumped. I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of them. Just an outstanding effort, and uh, now we're heading into the outdoor season and see if we can keep carrying this forward and maybe win an outdoor title as well. So I know that was a little bit more than five minutes, but it was just uh, an unbelievable effort by our ladies, and I thought I, thought I should talk about them at least a little bit here on the show. But now I'm going to go ahead and bring in Curtis, and we're going to go ahead and move into the mailbag portion of the show. And we got a ton of good ones. You, know, I, you guys always send in a ton of great questions. Never let us down. So let's go ahead and dig in into these. Um, and we're going to start with Charlie. Charlie actually, actually sent in quite a few questions, so we appreciate it, Charlie. Uh, and we're going to start with this one. It's actually a basketball question. We had a lot, of, a lot of headlines around the Georgia basketball program over the last week, so we'll start there. And Charlie asks, whom do you think Coach Crean needs to land to make next year's team successful and be able to utilize Anthony Edwards? If you guys haven't seen that, Anthony Edwards, number one basketball group, just landed this week, and utilize Anthony Edwards to his full potential. And if we make the NCAAs and have a first-round exit, is that a successful season next year? So, Kurt, let's uh, let's take that. It's kind of two questions. There. Let's take them one at a time. So, first here, who do you think? What else do we need to add alongside Anthony Edwards for him to really, like Charlie says, reach his full potential next year? Oh, there's no question. 
situation is guard play. I mean, you know, that's our biggest problem this year. And I still think that even while having him next year, you can't have enough of the guard play because you can't rely on him to have to do it all by himself. Yeah, and, and Edwards is a he's a shooting guard by trade. Now, he's got great handles and can play point guard if he's pressed into duty there and can, and can do it at times. You, know, you can set up isolations and all that kind of stuff. Um, but do you would you rather have him playing point guard, because that is a critical position, or playing shooting guard, and then also bringing up a better point guard alongside him to kind of facilitate things. What would be the best scenario in your mind? I'd rather have him as, as a shooting guard. I think right. sometimes when they're in the point guard position, it kind of takes away from their aggressiveness yep. scoring-wise. Honestly, if you're the one with the ball in your hands all the time, it's easier to trap you and defend you and to get the ball out of your hands. So uh, to me, I think we need a point guard which will allow him to play off the ball. That way he can come off screens, we can run different actions for him, and just get him the ball in a variety of different ways. And you're, like you said, just take a, a little bit of the pressure off him. Maybe the point guard could even create some things for him. And you're lo and behold, not that Anthony Edwards cannot create for himself because he certainly can. But I, we, I think you're right. We definitely need a point guard. But this is tough for me. We have one spot left right now in this class. We need a big and we also need a point guard. In your mind, what's more important for us to get in this class? Because we, like next year, the only big we're going to have on the roster really is, I mean, a guy that can really play center is Nicholas Claxton. I think Claxton's better at the four. That's really the only guy that we'll have to speak of, of that position. So we need a post, but we also, like you said, we have no guard play right now. And yet Edwards is, the right, is a step in the right direction there. But we need more than just him in the backcourt. So what's more important? If we only have one spot left. Now look, after Kareem's comments um, last week, there's a good chance. Somebody's going to transfer. So maybe there's another spot that will open up and we get a point guard and a big. But right now, we only have one spot left. So in your mind, Kurt, what's more important to, to kind of pair alongside Edwards? Is it that point guard or is it a, a post-type guy? Um, I mean, realistically, it's probably the post just because of based on needs. Um, you still have to be able to have a deep rotation. Uh, yeah. You know, Ed, like you said, Edwards can play the point if he needs to be. But at that point, we still don't have many big guys. No, we still only have Claxton. Um, and if Claxton, and, and him, one of the reasons I want him playing the four and the five is in, in, at the five, he's going to get in foul trouble, right? I mean, he's going to get in foul trouble, and he's one of our better players. He, if he gets in foul trouble and he's only playing 20 minutes a game, that hurts us. We need somebody that can come in there and play that. And maybe Ingumezi can do that a little bit, but he's not a five. He's a four. Um, it, you know, it's So we need a post player. So I think I'm with you. I think that's the more desperate need just based on like sheer depth reasons. But like, we really need a point guard. We really need one. So I'm hopeful that we'll clear up an- another spot here and um, and be able to bring in a post and a point guard to, to kind of play alongside Edwards there in the backcourt. But yeah, we got to upgrade the backcourt, not just him, but we got to get some more guys in here for sure. I mean, do you think anyone on the roster right now can be that guy next year? Or at least I, I at least have to ask that. Um, I mean, you could. I, that's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, who's the closest to doing that? Is it is it Tishon Hightower? I would guess so. I mean, he's got all the traits. He just doesn't have it mentally, in my opinion. His, his awareness is lacking tremendously. He's just he, he was so raw coming in. So maybe another year of seasoning will help. I don't know. But I think if anyone can do it, it's probably him. I mean, Crump, Crump is fine. But like, it, do you see him as a guy that creates for other people? Not usually, no. Yeah, I, I mean, I just see him jacking up a lot of threes, and he's a you know forty plus percent three point shooter. He's a good player. Uh, I also have questions about him defensively, but you guys should say about almost anyone in our backcourt right now. So I just don't know if we have the answer right now. Maybe Tshawn Hightower, maybe. But like, what not, what I've seen from this year, no. I just I've seen I, I've seen flashes of things that that lead me to believe he can be a good player down the road. But he's certainly not the version we've seen we've seen of him this year is not ready to be that guy yet. Um, I don't know. 
Uh, but let's go to the next part of this question. Uh, if we make the NCAA tournament next year and have a first-round exit with Anthony Edwards, a potential lottery pick, probably a lottery pick, maybe even the first pick. We'll see how that plays out. A lot of basketball to be played there, but a lottery pick probably. Um, even if we make the NCAA and have a first-round exit, is that a successful season for you next year, Kurt? Not at all. I mean, you saw what happened with Ben Simmons at LSU. Uh, you but they didn't even make the tournament with him. Well, yeah, I know. But, I mean, even I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, you know, the way that it's being treated, I think that you at least need to have at least one win because I think if that the narrative would become, you know, you get the one of the top two players in the nation depending on, you know, what site you're looking at and you still lose in the first round, then what's the difference in Mark Fox? I mean, and, and you're, look, that's hard to argue with. You're not off base in saying that. I mean, you, you kind of saw that last year with Oklahoma. You know, Trey Young comes in, they start off really hot, and they just completely fall off the map late in the season, and they barely made the tournament. They made the the first four, and they lose, right? So, uh, and you know, so I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If, uh, you have to ask Oklahoma fans: Is that a successful season for them? I don't know. Uh, you know, they don't. They don't have a ton of basketball history. You know, Blake Griffin was there for a couple years, so there's not a ton of basketball history there. I, so I don't know if like making the NCAA tournament was just good enough for them with Trey Young. I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I would say this though, and answer this question. I, I think making like if you look at this team this year, Chris, like we might win maybe two games. I don't know. If, do you think we'll even get to two games in conference? Like, are we going to win another one? It'll be interesting. The way we're playing, I mean, I can't sit here and say definitively, yeah, we're going to win at least one more. I can't even say that right now. I just, I don't know if I can. Like, if we had Vanderbilt on the schedule again, maybe, but I don't, outside of that, I don't know. Um, so if you look at what this team is this year, the idea that we could, one player could get us to the the next round or get us in the next step by getting us in the, in, in the NCAA tournament after winning one, maybe two conference games this year, like, I, I don't know if that would necessarily be a failure of a season. Now, it wouldn't be as successful as we want it to be. But when you go from one or two conference wins to getting in the tournament, like that's a pretty big step, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I know it's you, you got a guy who could potentially be the number one pick, so you think you should go deeper than that. But it's more than just one guy, and we've seen that. Too. We've seen Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, one dude, and they didn't even they didn't even get in the tournament. So I think getting in the NCAA's after this year, that's the logical next step for our program. Like, of course, we won't be satisfied with that, but it is the logical next step. And I, but before I fully answer this question, like, is that going to be a successful season? I think we have to see how it plays out and what the team looks like around Edwards next season. Like, who's going to transfer? Do we bring in some grad transfers? Maybe as a point guard. Um, do we sign another post? Like, what do, what is it? What does the team around him look like next year? If it's just Edwards and then basically who we have now, I don't. I mean, I think getting into the first round of the NCAA tournament might be a, a, at least a, a decently successful season. But now, if we had a, a big time, not even a big time, but a good solid grad transfer point guard, land a good post, maybe Precious Achua, and you get pair that with Anthony Edwards, then you know maybe a first-round exit might be a little disappointing. But right now, with what we have, if we go to the NCAA tournament, I would say it's a it's a successful season, and hopefully we build from there. Um, all right, let's move on to the next one here. It's from Reggie. Thanks for the question, Reggie. Always appreciate it, man. Uh, Reggie asks, who are you guys hearing the most excitement about from this group of early enrollees in regards to Georgia football, of course? So, Kurt, have you heard anything around these early enrollees now that they're in the program, working out in the off-season uh, strength and conditioning program? Honestly, no. I mean, I think Kirby right now has really been on an information lockdown the, the, you know, the past couple months. Yeah, he has. I've heard a little bit. Uh, I haven't heard a ton. I, what I've heard is what you expect, though. I mean, I've heard that Nolan Smith is just balling out. Uh, and if you know anything about Nolan Smith, that makes sense, right? 
I honestly didn't expect anything to hear anything else about Nolan Smith because he just balls out wherever he goes, and he's a polished player right now coming into high school or coming into the into the University of Georgia. I've actually heard that Dwan Mathis is doing a really good job of soaking up knowledge. Um, now they haven't really done much in terms of seven on seven or anything like that, but that's a good sign that he's sitting there just you know soaking it up, listening, doing the mature, and just being mature and and being a guy that's ready to come in and learn under Jake Fromm, and even going back to like uh, before the Sugar Bowl when uh, we had. A couple of the early enrollees get here. Um, Mr. Johnson, you, you heard some about him, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you heard as soon as he got here. I mean, just how you know, freaking nature he is. Yeah, so, I mean, that guy, we've heard him, I mean, from the game. I haven't heard anything, like, recently, but I, I heard, I mean, as soon as he got here, like, that was the first thing I heard is, like, this dude is going to be ridiculously good from people that I that I legitimately trust. Uh, so Jermaine Johnson, like he's a guy that I expect fully to come in and be a big time contributor for us next year. And I've heard again since day one since he's been on campus that this guy right now could have gone in. He could have gone in and played for us in the Sugar Bowl. Like he, I was hearing that he was looking that good. Obviously he wasn't allowed to do that, but he could have from what I was hearing. So there's a couple of guys. Again, you're right though. Kirby's had this on information lockdown for a while now. Uh, so it's hard to get a ton of information. A lot of people just don't have access to these off-season workouts. But that's kind of what I've heard in bits and pieces here and there over the last month or so. Uh, all right, next question here is from Austin. Thanks for the question, man. Austin Austin asks, what is, your, what is, in your mind, the biggest question mark going into next season? So for you, Curly, what are you looking at? What is the biggest question mark heading into next year? Uh, I mean, I think you have to look at running backs. I think that's one place that we really, really, I mean, we've had, we have talent there, but the question is, behind Swift, who is going to be our true number two? Do you feel comfortable with Swift being the number one? Of course. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, certainly he's not going to fill the role of Elijah Holyfield. He's a different kind of back. We saw what Swift can do when he's fully healthy, though, and hopefully next year that groin will be all healed up and he'll be good to go. But I think you're right, that number two running back, because we're going to rotate backs. Not, Swift's not going to get 35 carries a game. We're going to rotate guys. So who is that going to be? Brian Harrians looks like the guy that's probably uh, best position because he's got the most playing time. He's an upperclassman. With Zeus, we don't know. I mean, did you see the the video that UGA Football put out, Kurt, of the the workout? Did you see that like kind of screenshot of Zeus? Yeah. The dude has gotten jacked up. He looks like he's like 230-plus, maybe even the 240 range. Just looks good out there working out with the team. Uh, so maybe he comes back healthy. It's just hard to know when you're coming off two ACL injuries. Maybe he comes back stronger with, with the technology we have now and the advancements in scientific medicine. Like We'll see. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but that's just uncertainty there. And, of course, you got James Cook who flashed at times last year and has a ton of ability, but is he really a, a, a true every-down type back? I mean, that question still has to be answered. So you're right. There's some questions there. I think there's some questions at wide receiver, obviously at inside linebacker, the, the cornerback opposite uh, or the quarterback position that was vacated by DeAndre Baker moving on to the NFL and him graduating. That's a question. Um, the qu- quarterback, who's the backup quarterback, is going to be a question. So all those are questions. You can go in any direction. I think running back is a, is a big one there too, Kurt. I don't think you're wrong there. For me, though, I'm going to go off the field. I'm going to say Demons a coordinator. Now, like, there still has not been an official announcement. You and I are still – I don't want to speak for you. I'm still of the opinion that it's it's in-house, right? It has to be because we have all our positions filled. So it's probably going to be either Dan Lanning as the coordinator or a combination of Lanning and Schumann most likely. But I, I, that's a big question for me because neither one of those guys has any experience calling plays. They're obviously very well respected and were very well thought of by Kirby Smart. Um, and we've talked about how Mel Tucker tried to hire Dan Lanning as his Colorado Demons coordinator. So that you know leads you to leave right there that he's highly thought of by some very, very prominent defensive minds. Uh, 
But the fact is, if it's him, he's never called a game. And will he? Will they even be calling it? Will Kirby be calling defense this year? I don't know. And if he does, how much does that take away from him doing the CEO type stuff? How much does that take away from him focusing on recruiting in season? That's, there's a lot. I mean, Kirby's obviously been very involved with defense since day one here, even with Tucker. But has he become even more involved? How much more involved? There's a lot of questions there. Um, and when, you, when you're when you losing a guy like Mel Tucker and you're replacing him with two guys who've only been on the field coaches for a couple of years, that's... I don't want to say it's not concerning, but it, is it fair to say it's a question? Yeah, you don't know what, what we're going to look like. Yeah, you just have no idea. I mean, what is their? Are they going to put? Is Kirby going to let them put their stamp on defense? Are they going to let them do different things, or is Kirby going to be like the de facto defense coordinator? So to me, that's a big question right now. How that plays out, how it works out, what it looks like, how they function together. So uh, that's something I'm watching very closely, and we'll be paying a lot of attention to that once the season kicks off in 2019. Uh, all right, here, another question from Charlie. Thanks for the question again, man. Uh, Charlie asked, this is a good one. I really like this question. How do you see playing time allotted next year uh, at outside linebacker between Britton Cox, Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson, and Aziz Ojolari next year? And then also in the defensive backfield, how about Otis Reese and Lewis Seen as well? So let's start with the outside linebacking kind of rush in position there, Kurt. Um, so how do you see playing time kind of being divided up there because we're losing obviously DeAndre Walker who is a major piece of the puzzle for us defensively so it's pretty open there how do you see it playing out um I mean I think you're gonna see Cox probably play, play quite a bit Nolan Smith quite a bit um and I think all I mean I really think that it's gonna be I mean we this is probably the deepest our outside linebacker group has been I mean very you know, deep you gotta, you gotta also throw in Jermaine Johnson yeah that's what I'm saying like Jermaine Johnson was the dude missing from that list and honestly in my mind, and look, I haven't seen him live here in action in Athens, but what I've seen from his tape and just from talking to people I trust that have seen him here when he's gotten here to Athens, I think he might be the front runner in my mind to grab one of those starting jobs. Is that too much of a stretch here? No, not at all. I really don't. Based on what I've seen and what I've heard about him, I'm very high on what he's able to do. And like you mentioned Britton Cox. Honestly, I mean, look, I haven't seen Britton Cox in the offseason right now. I think there's a chance by the end of the offseason that Britton Cox grows into a five-tech defensive end. I think there's a chance that happens. I'm not going to say for sure. I wouldn't discount that because I don't like Cox is a really good player, but his strength is playing the run. He's a good, solid pass rusher, but he's not an explosive pass rusher like Adam Smith and, or I'm sorry, Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith and even Aziz Ojolari and of course Jermaine Johnson. He's like, do you see him in the same mold as those guys? No, not really. I, I really don't. I think if we put enough weight on him and he gains, and I think it depends on how his body develops and how he grows, but if he grows enough, I think we could see him put his hand down the ground more and playing at a five-tech spot. I really believe that uh, in the next year or so. I, I think we could definitely see that. Uh, but I think Jermaine Johnson's in a really good position if he can continue to grow and just get and build on what he was able to do once he got here to campus in December. I think he's a guy that's going to really contend for some playing time. Uh, Adam Anderson's a guy that you guys know. I've said since we signed him, I thought he was the best pure pass rusher in the 2018 class. He just is lighting the britches. He's got to add some weight. We saw that last year. He got on the field about the second half of the season in situational packages, particularly on third down. Um, for him to see the field more than that, he's going to have to put on weight. And that's just hard to prove. Walker who tried to put on weight but just couldn't until he got to like his junior year. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but he's going to play. He's Ojolari. Um, you know, I should have for him coming off an ACL injury, we're not how much playing time he got in that position, but he got playing hold up again in terms of his passion ability. He's not, but he's not that far off. He's got some explosiveness to his game as well. A factor. And Nolan is a beast, guys, and he is ready right now to contribute. Like his body is there. His and Aziz showed me a lot in the Sugar Bowl. I think honestly, 
these guys will all be used situationally, and there will be a rotation. I, I mean, we saw that this year at various positions, and Kirby was uh, certainly not afraid to rotate guys like, like an inside linebacker, for instance. So I think we'll see that next year, and whoever plays well could earn more time as the season goes on, but it's hard to predict right now. I do think Jermaine Johnson's going to be one of those guys. We'll see if Anderson adds weight. I think Ojolari, uh could be a factor, and I think Nolan Smith's going to be a factor as well. We'll see. Uh, what about Otis Reese and Lewis Sink? Or do you see them factoring into playing time in the, in the secondary next year? I would say Otis Reese is definitely going to push Richard LeCount, especially you know what we talked about with Richard's shortcomings for tackling. Uh, you know, he's opened the door for Otis. Yeah, I think that Otis is going to push hard. Um, and look, we all know Kirby's high on LeCount. We're all high on LeCount. He's got a great uh, skill set. He's a very talented guy. But Otis is a little is bigger, not a little. He's a good bit bigger. Now LeCount can he can bring the wood, but sometimes he f- forgets how to actually do it technically. Uh, but Otis is an outstanding tackler. Uh, is a bigger dude. Can't cover quite as much ground as as Richard can. So they have a, kind of a different skill set. Um, but he's certainly going to push. He'll factor into it. And Lewis Seen, I, it's hard to say right now. I think he's got a, he's a great talent. Um, he'll have a, a little bit of a learning curve to catch up on. He'll be behind these guys, but it might be like Otis Reese. By the time we get towards the, the last third of the season, he might be ready to come in and contribute and, and push for playing time. We'll see. We'll see. I wouldn't count him out. Um, all right, next question here is from Christopher. So we talked a little bit about some of the position battles a few minutes ago. Uh, but, Kurt, this question is, which position battle are you most excited about and Why? So we've got spring practice here in a couple of months, Kurt. So as, as we head in that direction, which position battle are you most excited about? I think outside linebackers. I mean, inside linebacker, yes. But outside linebackers, I think we have more developed talent that can push for it. Like maybe more elite talent that's ready to play right now. Exactly. Right. I mean, like, inside linebacker, you're hoping Kendall and Walker to make a push. Um, and even uh, N'Kobe Dean, I can't remember if he's an early enrollee. Yes, he is. Okay, so yeah. even with that, though, I mean, you know, there's a big learning curve, but compared to the outside linebacker, I think, you know, as we were mentioning, you got Johnson, who's experienced uh, Ojolari, uh, yeah. Adam Anderson, uh, Cox. I mean, you have all these yeah. guys, so I think that's what I'm more excited about. We're not even about. mentioning Walter Grant either. Yeah, who I'm not as high on as the other guys, but he's yeah, still he's still a body, he's still there. Yeah. He's still yeah, and he exactly. started Someone a lot this year. Someone who's played meaningful snaps yeah. for us. Yeah, he, and we like to use him in that kind of hybrid star position for the, in that certain package. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's a re- that's interesting, man, and it's hard to again hard to argue with that. I will go in a different direction though you, with what you mentioned as well. I'm gonna go inside linebacker. Um, and to me, the reason I'm going with inside linebacker, and I'm very excited to watch this outside linebacker spot. Actually, I'm excited to watch a lot of spots: the cornerback spot, the receiver spot there opposite uh, JJ Holloman, running back. I'm very excited about all those positions. But for me, maybe this is because I'm an old inside linebacker and inside linebacker coach myself. Um, I, to, but also, really for me, I think inside linebacker was the biggest weakness on our defense last year. I don't think you can argue that. And yeah, you just can't argue that. We talked about that ad nauseum last year, and it was it's just it was just the truth, man. It is what it is. But now we have more talent infused in that position. And we had some guys last year that just weren't really ready to play, but It's a toss-up between Nicobe Dean, Tyndall, and Quay Walker. I'm still extraordinarily high on Quay Walker. At guys, guy can also rush the passer as well. He's got some versatility to this game. He's a guy that I'm still very high on. I think he's in effect as well. So I can't really argue too much with you. Outside linebacker, that's a good one as well. Uh, all right, next question here is from Jamie. Uh, how do you see the inside linebacker depth chart shaking out? 
Who do you think will be in the rotation? And do you still think going to be our weakest position group? So, Kurt, is this group poised at inside linebacker to really take a big step forward? It'll be a little bit more experienced, but I still think it'll probably be our weakness, our weakest part on the defense because we have so much returning experience. No, there is, but I just I think that you're even then. I mean, right now we have a lot of experience at every other position. You know, guys that at least have proven something or done. Yeah, something. they've done something. Yeah. That I think point they still are a weakness until someone truly says. And that's and that's a good point. That, that is a good point. Um, how do you see the 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 depth chart playing out? Who? Like, let's go ahead and predict. And it's so hard right now. I haven't seen anything in spring practice. But who do you predict right now? Game one, opening the season against Vanderbilt in Nashville at inside linebacker. Uh, Monty Rice and Tate Crowder. Really? You think so? I mean, I, that's just, I mean, defaulting to if, the the seniors or the upperclassmen. Yeah, I mean, you have to say even if. Uh, you know, Tyndall and Walker proved to be the better players. They won't play game one, start game one. That's just not how Kirby has done it. Um, you're right. You're right for the most part. I mean, we we had we had a few guys. We had like Tyson Campbell last year, but I guess there wasn't anyone else there. It was an open spot essentially, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're right. Kirby does he does like to go with senior leaders, and give them every chance early on. Do you expect there to be a, a rotation like last year early in the season? Hundred oh, percent. Yeah. So you, you you think the rotation right now is probably going to be if we had four guys like we were rotating in last year, you're going Monty Rice and Tay Crowder open, and then Tyndall and Walker, or does Nicobe Dean get his way factor his way in there? Uh, yeah, I think Nicobe Dean does because he. I mean, I don't know. I think he has a chance. I think the biggest thing with him, I mean, you saw with Roquan, you know, that's what a lot of people can you right. know, compare him to. But even Roquan didn't really start to blossom until you know his mid, second year. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and even then it wasn't at the beginning either. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Um, I think you're probably right. It's probably going to be the upperclassmen to start, but I think if if Tyndall and Walker and or N'Kobe Dean really start to come on pretty quick in the season, uh, the way our schedule is set up, you know, we got obviously we got within the first four weeks of the season we've got Notre Dame, so I think there's a chance. I mean, look, we're also opening with an SEC opponent. I don't know if that factors into it. Like, you don't have like a game where you can just you know throw it away. And Vanderbilt, I know they're Vanderbilt, but it's on the road, and they got a lot of guys coming back, man. I mean, they got Peeney coming back, they got Lipscomb coming back, they got Keyshawn Vaughn at running back. He might be one of the best running backs in the country, honestly, coming back. Now they're losing the quarterback, but they're not like going to be a pushover on offense. Like they have some weapons, so I don't know if that factors into it at all. But you're you're probably right with saying Rice and, and Crowder start it. Um, but I think Walker and Tyndall and or Nicobe Dean will play, and I think by the time we get to the midpoint of the season, I, I think one of those three, Tyndall, Walker, Dean, will take a starting job. I really do. I think at some point they will. I think they're that much more talented than the other two. But it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. That's why that's the one I'm really watching closely here. Uh, all right, next question here. And I, my God, I'm sorry. Whoever sent this question, I'm sorry, dude. I, I totally forgot to put your name in here. I don't know what happened. So apologize. But the question is, who do you see filling out the cornerback positions next season and why? So Stokes, Eric Stokes ended the season as a starter, Kurt. Does he start this season against Vanderbilt as a starter? 100%. All right. And again, this is a guy that you and I were very hard on, but now we've both yeah. definitely come I mean, around he's on. Grown. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you know, he's grown. He, he, he responded to being challenged, you know? I mean, you, anyone would be crazy if they sat here, and especially after you know this last spring game and things like that, and said this guy's going to be a starter. I mean, no. Yeah, I think our criticism that. of him was fair. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. It wasn't un- undue criticism. Yeah, but he, but to his credit, he just worked his tail off, man. Didn't yeah. pout and just got better. I, I mean, love guys was, like that. We he, we all said he was raw. He and was. There's no doubt he was. I mean, that's he, clear. But he learned. He learned the techniques. 
Yeah. And he just and look, and Kirby, this is an example of some people like to say that oh we recruit well, but uh, Kirby doesn't develop guys. Are you kidding me? Eric Stokes is perfect one like that's number one example of how Kirby can develop guys. At that especially at the, in the defensive backfield, that's crazy. I mean, this guy was so raw, talented it, physically, but raw. And Kirby has developed him into help develop along with Mel Tucker into a really good cornerback for us. Uh, what about that other spot though? Obviously, we have the vacancy now with Baker moving on to the NFL. Who do you see as the leader in the clubhouse? Um, I think it's going to be, at this point, a challenge between Campbell and uh, Webb. Okay, so Mark Webb. Okay, so the guy who was playing a lot of like uh, the money position for us last year in our dime packages. You think he's going to make a push there and push Campbell? Yeah, I mean, I think you'll also see Stevenson push them. But I think, realistically, the top two guys maybe competing would be Webb and Campbell. Uh, yeah. I'm going to throw another name at you. You mentioned Tyreek Stevenson, which uh, obviously... No, hold on. Who you're about to throw in. Yeah. DJ, Daniels. DJ Daniels, right? Juco, you bring Juco's into play right away. That's the that idea. I think, I think uh, to me, he's very similar to a uh, Stokes. He is. He, and DJ Daniels, I mean, but he, he has a good skill set. He's got good hips. He's got fluid athleticism. He's got good solid size. Not the biggest guy in the world, not as big as Campbell, but good solid size. And he has experience. Um, so he's a guy that. And we fought hard for. We fought hard. He committed to South Carolina. We, we were able to, to get him back in the fold. He committed South, from South Carolina and committed to us, and we, we signed him. So he's been on campus as an early enrollee. Uh, he'll be here in the spring. I I, I can't sit here and say he's going to play. I haven't seen him in the, since he's gotten here. I don't know that. But I know that we fought hard for him, and, and I trust Kirby's evaluations in the defensive backfield. And what I saw in his tape, I liked his athleticism. I think he's got good ball skills. I think he's got a shot. And, again, you bring Juco guys in with the expectation they're going to compete to play, right? Yeah. So I think he's a guy that, that you can't discount. I'm not saying he's going to win the job, but you're right. Campbell, Stevenson, DJ Daniels, those are the guys that I think are going to really be – and Webb, of course. Those four guys are going to be fighting for that spot. And they'll also fight with Stokes as well. But I think Stokes has shown enough to – right now, for me, I don't have any reason to think that he's going to lose that job. Maybe. We don't know. Maybe one of the guys raises their game. I don't know. But the way Stokes works and the, the improvement we saw from him last year, I, I feel pretty comfortable right now at least saying that I expect him to hold on to a spot. Uh, all right, next question here from Alvin. Uh, he asks, how much of an issue do you foresee the transfer portal being after the G-Day game? Uh, I think it's going to be a big issue moving forward, period, right? For all, yeah, all teams. Already, you've already seen it now. I think, well, I think I saw a stat the other day. I think it was 51 of the 64 uh, most recent, uh, what would you call them, waivers for immediate eligibility for transfers have been approved. I think, I think that's right, yeah, that's 51 what, of 64. That's shocking more than anything. Not, you know, I, I figure people transfer, but the waivers is really shocking. Yeah, 51 of 64 are, have, that have applied have gotten their waivers. Uh, so, I mean, that's the number I heard. I can't remember exactly where I saw that. I saw it somewhere. And somebody can fact check me on that, but I think that's right. But, uh, yeah, so, like, people are getting waivers. It, it's 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 more common than not at this point. And, honestly, if um, – if what's his name? If tape, I mean, we already saw it with Justin Fields, you know, which is a bogus – bogus request but whatever he got it. it's good for him but if, if we see Tate Martell get immediate eligibility by transferring to Miami just basically because he didn't want to he felt like they that Ohio State was doing him wrong by bringing in another guy maybe I might have lied to him like if he gets eligibility right away like can we not just say at that point that it's free agency 100% I mean that's just what it's going to be so I, yeah I think it's going to be a problem for all teams not just us but let's look at us here for a minute here Curtis. so after G-Day so after spring practice do you foresee us having losing some guys to the transfer portal hundred uh, percent. Who are you looking? I hate speculating here, but like, is there anyone in your mind that's like, you know, he's a good candidate to potentially move on? Uh, I mean, you got to look at probably to Tory Johnson, Justin Schaefer, mm. 
Schaefer. I didn't think about that. Eh, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm not going to completely throw that I mean, out. Yeah, people like that. Then you may see one of the big guys in either Tommy Bush or Matt Landers. Landers. Latavius Brini at safety. Yeah, uh, Trey Bishop hasn't left yet. His name was in there. Right. But, I mean, he's probably li- – I would say he's likely gone. Um, he's not officially yet. We haven't heard anything official there, but likely gone. I'm trying to think of anyone else in like the defensive backfield maybe. Uh, William Poole? If, we're being, if he's not given a legitimate shot. Probably. Yeah, I mean, if, he, if he feels like he's bearing the depth chart, you know, maybe a guy like that. I hope not. Jaden Hunter? Maybe. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, that's fair. You, can, you know, maybe a name. I hate throwing him out, him out there because he's a legacy and he's a guy who's done, done everything the right way, but like – we're bringing all these guys, and if he's not like even like in the, if he's like not even in the three deep, you know, does he start to question it? Maybe I don't know. It's gonna be tough because he is a legacy hero with his dad Bryce. That's tough. Uh, I mean, I I hope it works you out. You never want to rub a legacy wrong. No, I I really hope it works out for Jaden. Like I really want it to work out for him. I, mean, I want the best players to play, but I I, I hope that Jaden grows into one of those guys because I, I really want it to work out for him. I do. I mean, you love guys like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's likely going to hit us. Like, we're going to have some guys after spring, and they're, they're, they're going to give it one little more go to see if they can make a dent in the depth chart. But if they don't, they'll probably enter the transfer portal. It probably is not going to be any frontline players because typically the guys in your transfer portals are entering in, entering in that because things aren't working out for them where they are. So it might hurt. It probably hurts from a depth perspective, but I, I don't see any frontline players. Do you? Like any starters? Frontline, frontline-wise, no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, guys are more like depth pieces who maybe haven't, you know, Maybe guys in the that, depth chart. that you know that were close to making a push, but but just haven't quite gotten there. Yeah, yeah. All right, and last. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, man. Yeah. Say just from Kirby's first classes. Sure. Yeah, the first class for sure. And this is what happens when Kirby keeps recruiting the way that we've recruited. Like people are going to get recruited over. It just happens. I mean, it happens in Alabama too. I mean, like they they have a lot of guys transfer because they get recruited over. You know, it's just it's just part of the beast. Like you get a good, you think you have a good player, you're happy with him, yeah. But the next the next year, you might get a player that you're even happier with and you're higher on. So it's just it's just kind of the 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 way it goes with elite recruiting year in year out. And I hope that continues. I don't think it's gonna stop. I hope not. All right, last question, a little bit off the beaten path here, but I like it. I like your style, Charlie. So Charlie comes in with another question. Thanks, man. Uh, he asked, I saw that Georgia's women's swim team is currently ranked 12th overall and 5th in the SEC. Which, guys, if you follow our, our swimming and diving programs, that is not characteristic of, of our program. We are typically far better than that. I think we actually won the national title in 2016. Uh, so are we seeing the effects of the restraints put on Coach Bowerly because of the Chase Kalitz situation several years back? Is that what's happening here, Curtis, or is this just a random down year? Um. You know, Coach, Coach, if you guys aren't familiar, Coach Bowerly got into some issues. Um, there was a, a swimmer, Chase uh, Khalis, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, who he uh, wanted to keep eligible, so he contacted uh, a professor, which is impermissible, and to see about getting him signed up for a independent study class that he could take on his own and basically get a grade for and get credit for and stay eligible. Um, and Chase, never, from, all, from all accounts, never asked to do it. It wasn't a fault here. Coach Bowerly made a mistake. He's been here for a long time, like 40-plus years. Is an uh, is a legend here. He's a legend in, in women's swimming. I mean, he's coached Team USA in the Olympics, um, but made a mistake here. And because of that, in 2014, we got some pretty significant recruiting restrictions for a couple of years. Those re- those restrictions are out of the way. But is that what's happening right now? Are we feeling those effects right now? Probably our 
charges, you don't have much upperclassmen that are, you know, right. I guess it's weird to say game changers in swimming, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, actually, I went back, I went and I've counted, and I, I think we have one senior by my count on the roster right now, I think. I think, I, so again, somebody can fact check me on that, but I think that's right. And I, so, yeah, I think you're right, Charlie. I think this has to do with those years of recruiting restrictions are kind of coming back to bite us right now. We are a very young team on the, on the women's swimming side. Um, I think the future is very bright. Coach Bowley hasn't forgotten how to coach. We, we're go, we, we are Georgia Swimming, which is a, an elite program in the SEC and nationally. Uh, I think we've got seven women's national, seven title, national titles there. So we are a big-time program, and we've got some good young talent. It's just uh, we don't have much in the way of upperclassmen. So it just yeah, it's I kind mean, of one of those years. You've kind of seen it men's tennis too. Yeah, absolutely. You've seen it. Men's tennis has had some attrition, and we just – you know, we signed a guy like Tommy Paul a couple years back, and he was the number one recruit in the country. He ends up going pro instead of coming here, which hurt big time because we lacked that number one singles player, um, and, which like the women's having. They, they, Katarina Jokic, who is just a flat, like I said, just I mean, she's a killer. She's a killer, man. We just don't have that on the men's side, and um, we're young. Actually, we're not. Actually, we're the, the women are younger, uh, but the men have been young, and we've had some attrition, some big time guys. You had Nate Palm with his big time recruit who got kicked off the team, and now he's at Arizona State. So yeah. It just when you when you miss when 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 you have I don't want to say misses but when you have like attrition like that or restraints on your recruiting it hurts it hurts so I think that's probably what we're feeling right now but I, I expect this to get back on track here in the very near future in women's swimming and diving so good question Charlie I like it off the beaten path there man good stuff but all right guys that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast we really appreciate everyone uh, supporting us and tuning in and listening again. If you're not a subscriber, we would greatly appreciate if you gave us a shot there. Get access to all of our premium content. These mailbag shows are normally premium content, but we wanted to open it up to everyone today to kind of give you a little taste of what we do with our premium content. And uh, so if you want access to all that stuff throughout the season, this is what you can, can kind of expect. So it's just $2 a month. Sign up on Podbean. I, I think you'll – I hope at least you'd find it worth your while. So, and again, thank you for everyone who's already subscribed. We greatly appreciate you helping us keep this thing going. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so thanks, guys. Uh, for Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>